It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Did you hear about, because I want to get to Ocean Gate, but this is kind of semi-like related. It's like going into places we don't really belong. Did you hear, Bailey was telling me about this Mm -hmm. and then the colonel was chiming in, so they both kind of knew it. So I'm not, this is not directly from a news story, it's them telling me. There's a woman who volunteered to go to outer, outer space, and they know she probably won't come back. They did psych tests on her, and they think she'll probably, because she's going so far into space, they don't have enough gas to even, like, bring her back. So she'll probably be out there for, like, 15 years, or she'll get killed by an asteroid. And she'll have contact with her family probably for the first two years or whatever, but she's going into outer, Mission to Mars kind of shit by herself. I first got interested in the idea of going to Mars when I was three years old. And lift on, lift on. She wants to be the first or one of the first to go to Mars. She's a regular kid with a dream that she's willing to pursue. Spaceflight is very risky business. You have to take it serious or you will die. If the option was to go to Mars and never come back, I would still want to go and be a part of the mission. When Alyssa was younger, I remember Alyssa coming to me and asking me, had human beings ever been to Mars? And I explained to her that, you know, we'd been to the moon, but not Mars, but it would be her generation to become the Mars generation and go to Mars. This would be something really cool. I mean, go into space and then land on other planets. Little did I know that I would be raising a child that I'm supporting to leave this planet. I do everything that every other normal kid does except on the side I'm training to become an astronaut and go to Mars. Kids are always told you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. Alyssa has heard that but she has accepted that I'm gonna have to work really really hard to get to where I want to be. She's the youngest to ever graduate from Advanced Space Academy was the first person to complete all NASA space camps in the world. Got her rocket license before getting her driver's permit. Currently, I have my basic super diver certification and I'm working on my advance. She's doing the international baccalaureate, so she's doing college level classes in 10th grade. Multilingual education, so she's taking her classes in four languages, English, French, Spanish, Chinese. She's got the right mental attitude. She's doing everything that she can physically here on earth to prepare herself for that journey to mars who's sending her and don't tell me she's going up and i would think no i know i know or like is it jeff bezos like who's sending her up there i have no idea i didn't i didn't look it up just them telling me merely like um and they did psych tests on her and she just said she was always kind of a loner and they're sending her up in space don't you have to get past our orbit like don't you have to like oh yeah they do we have enough power to get her past that and they'll she'll just float. Vehicle cannot carry enough fuel and that she wants to make her mark on but will, the universe. Will there be enough like oxygen and stuff to sustain life? Exactly. What about food? Yeah. What about food? Like she's just gonna be in a rocket ship for like Oh god. Forever? So she's gonna suffocate or starve to death, and that's gonna be they're not gonna give her any crops to plant. They're just sending her up there. Here's a seat, a blanket, a cup of water. A meal replacement package. I have tasted those earthquake prepared waters. Actually, Jake has one. So we have to have an earthquake preparedness kit every year at school. And I tasted the packaged water. 
Oh my God. <laughs> and they had these little bars. I'm like, Ooh, I don't even think you would eat this if you were, I, well, it's terrible. Anyway. Humanity has never undertaken anything like sending humans to another planet. So how do humans get ready to go to Mars or how do they survive this mission? Now, last month, we launched a new spacecraft as part of a re-energized space program that will send American astronauts to Mars. And in two months, to prepare us for those missions, Scott Kelly will begin a year-long stay in space. So good luck, Captain. An American astronaut is hours away from beginning his one-year mission on board the International Space Station. While Scott is in space, his twin brother, former shuttle commander Mark Kelly, will stay on Earth. The brothers' perfect subjects to study. The trip to Mars is a long trip, seven months. And so we have to understand what does it mean for an astronaut to be in orbit for that amount of time. Pretty much any system in the body you can think of is affected from spaceflight. The cardiovascular system is affected, the muscular system is affected, the immune system is affected. Lots of things can go wrong the longer you spend in space. Frankly, we don't have very much data about exactly what 12 months is going to do to Scott's body. It's an unknown, and you're basically allowing yourself to be an experiment. It could cost him his life. This mission could cost him his life. We are ready for the launch. Scott, we are ready for the launch. I'm a test pilot, so. I think it's important to, to push the envelope. For waving goodbye one last time before they load it in. The risk factor of this, which is high, makes it even more interesting. The engine's igniting. Ramping up. And liftoff. The year in space starts now. Kelly, Corniento, and Padalka on their way towards the International Space Station. Going to Mars. Not only will people become invested in the safety and well-being of the explorers, but also there's that drama, that sense of suspense as to whether or not they can survive on a world that they were not made for. What if you get up there and you get remorse? Like, wait a minute, I changed my mind. You can't, you just can't come no. back. Well, that leads us into Ocean Gate. You can't come back. No. So this, there's an interesting documentary. There's this kid on YouTube who is a treasure hunter, and he actually was going to do a dive with Ocean Gate. I think a couple of years ago, and it failed. And so they had to come back up, but he shows you everything about the boat, about being in there. It's kind of really crazy, but okay. So Ocean Gate, in case you haven't heard, or you've been living under a rock, is a submersible that carries five passengers and they do tourist dives to the Titanic. 
Well, this is not like a, uh, I don't want to say, not fully registered. Yeah, it's not like a registered uh, submersible with, um, what is the governing agency for submersibles? And it hasn't been sanctioned or governed by any sort yeah. of submersible. There's no classification for it. It's this, this guy who, he was a scientist and he came up with it. I don't even know what his name is. He like fired people. Yeah. If they oh said God. They had what is concerns. okay? I should be better prepared. I feel like I went to Mystic and I remember seeing a submersible there at their aquarium name... or Norwalk, and I wonder if it's the same. So Stockton Rush started this company that's going to take people down to the Titanic. They had a couple of successful missions, right, in this submersible, but he made it out of titanium. The other material it was something that's really not supposed to go that far down like there's a reason they make these really really deep submersibles they make them into spheres because apparently it balances the pressure more and they're made out of steel it's really scary you don't i think the ocean is crushed so i would never never in a million years could you get me on a submarine even the one at disneyland makes me like oh no shake and there's one there was that story of like do you remember when the russians went down in that sub and they didn't want us to help because they didn't want us to get their yes. technology. And the men were still alive writing yes. notes to their family. And then they got... By the way, the first woman to walk in space was also the first woman to reach the deepest point in Ooh, the ocean. An adventure fanatic. Fact. Yes, please. Yeah, please, please. So he took, uh, he took like a co-pilot who's also another scientist. And he was well-versed in this, in this um, capsule, the Ocean Gate capsule. I think it's called the Titan. Yes, it is called the Titan. And they went down and for a few days, you heard about the missing sub, like it went missing and people thought, yeah. oh, they lost their way. By the way, the only way you could like find this thing was through text message. So the they were sending texts from the surface to the capsule, like kind of directing them where to go. And he was using this sounds like this is literally a 17 yeah it's crazy i don't know how people actually decided to go on this it, it had a game controller it's just a regular game control he was all proud of the fact that you can just use regular things to get to the bottom of the ocean we got i got these lights from camping world i got this and this and this from you know online and this is a game controller it's an outdated one but it's a game. and that was supposed to control the sub right they had two little propellers yeah. on the side like it wasn't made to do any sort of meandering it was made to go down float around for a little bit take some pictures and come back up and it the ballast was even these old construction these steel construction tubes so turns out they searched for it for five days turns out it imploded at like three thousand feet and um what was the titanic something at like nine thousand feet like it's almost two miles below the surface of the ocean it's ridiculous yeah so they were like an hour hour like an hour and 45 minutes or an hour and a half into it like they said it probably just was painless probably but i mean they obviously heard cracking but i can't even imagine even what that 30 seconds from the shores of honduras tourist submarine operator carl stanley swings between grief and anger over a tragedy he describes as preventable and inevitable. Stockton Rush had been a friend. Back in 2019, Carl was one of the first to set foot inside the doomed Titan on a test dive in the Bahamas. 
What did you experience during that dive? Well, I would say every three to four minutes, there was loud gunshot-like noises. It's a heck of a sound to hear when you're that far under the ocean in a craft that has only been down that deep once before. Carl was convinced those noises were the carbon fibre hull slowly cracking, and he immediately raised his concerns with Stockton Rush in a series of heated calls and emails, writing, there is an area of the hull that is breaking down. It will only get worse. Carl also felt Rush had a disturbing lack of operating experience, and he told him so in no uncertain terms. No, I literally painted a picture of his wrecked sub at the bottom, and even that wasn't enough. You've been building deep-sea submersibles since you were a teenager. You've got thousands of hours' experience in piloting these craft. In your expert opinion, what was the fatal flaw of the Titan? Um, there's no doubt in my mind that it was the carbon fiber tube that was the mechanical part that failed. And that's what you believe you heard essentially cracking? Correct. Titan was the only commercial submersible in the world with a hull made from carbon fiber composite. Carbon fiber is coated with rhino liner, which is sort of what the military uses. It stops uh, water penetration. That's because the rest of the industry considers the lightweight material not up to the job, incapable of withstanding extreme deep sea pressure. But for Stockton Rush, the extra space meant he could fit more passengers on board. You know, I've broken some rules to make this. I think I've broken them with, with logic and good engineering behind me. The carbon fibre and titanium, there's a rule you don't do that. Well, I did. It's picking the rules that you break that are the ones that will add value to others and add value to society. And they were so proud of flaunting um, the accepted norms. And if you're going to flaunt an accepted norm, you really need to know what you're doing. And I wasn't convinced that that level of expertise was there. Rob McCallum worked with OceanGate as a consultant early on, but was alarmed by the company's experimental approach. Join the crew of the Titanic survey... And when Stockton Rush announced his plan to take passengers to dive the Titanic in an unclassed submersible, Rob quit. Stockton Rush once said, if you're not breaking things, you're not innovative. Is there truth to that in your industry or is that just reckless? Completely reckless. I mean, it's great fun breaking world records. I mean, I just love it. But they don't count if everybody doesn't make it home. Rob wasn't alone in his concerns. By 2018, the submersible community had become so distressed by Stockton Russia's apparent disregard for safety standards that three dozen industry experts wrote to OceanGate, warning catastrophe was looming unless changes were made. This is our five-man submersible. That same year, the company's chief pilot, David Lockridge, was fired and sued for raising a long list of safety concerns. If someone raised a safety concern, as the chief pilot did, they were not only not listened to, they were silenced. That is such a, a toxic culture when it comes to, to safety. And it's the reverse of everything else I know 
uh, and the maritime industry. The Titan operated in lawless international waters. Copy that. Oceangate called passengers mission specialists. And while some on board were indeed deep sea experts, others were thrill seeking tourists. First time in a submarine, it looks really cool in here too. Crucially, the sub wasn't independently certified or classed. Customers signed a company waiver before boarding the Titan. It mentions the possibility of death at least eight times. The game changes when you put paying passengers in there because you can't do that unless there is consent. And people can't consent to something that they, they don't really understand. And the ocean doesn't care if you're a millionaire. No. I mean, the pressure at 4,000 metres is, is unrelenting and unforgiving. I mean, you know, you don't get wounded at 4,000 metres. You come home in one piece or you don't come home at all. So I have a question for you. Would you rather duck at the bottom in that tiny little capsule with air running out and no one knows, like like you're just waiting to die because your oxygen is going to run out or implosion? Implosion. I don't want to know I'm yeah. going. I'm, I was more scared about all of this thinking that they were sitting in a capsule running Me out too. of air. Me too. Because I get so scared with any, I watch all those submarine movies, anything that is like a sub. And the older I get, the worse it is. I'm really bad with heights now. And Oof. It's claustrophobia. Yeah. So if I'm even watching a movie that's about any of that. I was like, can you imagine being in the dark on the bottom of the ocean, just waiting for everyone to get hypoxia and get goofy and die? Yeah. I can't. And cold and like. Oh my God. Oh, I know. That's oh, true. Yeah. No, I, it, this was a nightmare scenario all the way around. And the fact that like the one dude married a chick that was related, which is kind of weird. That's almost like when um, you didn't hear about all this. You know how like Nick Cage married Lisa yeah. Marie Presley and he was a big Elvis fan. That was kind of yeah. creepy, right? This dude married. Which the great, dude? Which dude? Great grandchildren. The one that died, Rushton or whatever mm-hmm. his name is. Strauss, Irish Strauss and his wife, who were like co-owners or co-starters or like Macy's or Mm -hmm. one of those big department stores, they, the guy gave up his spot on the boat to send his wife, right? She took, she was like, I'm not going anywhere without you. We've had a good run together. They had like five Mm -hmm. kids together. She gave her fur coat to her Mm -hmm. maid on the boat and then sent them off. And they were last seen like holding each other in the movie. They're the ones that are holding each other. Oh, that's right. That's right. The old little couple. She's his wife was related to her. Oh God. And he, she's still around. Like I haven't heard any interview. Did they get divorced or no? No, I don't. Not that I know of. I just know that he's related by marriage to that. Three family members to the Titanic. Yeah. And other, other, Family members and descendants are like, can you please just leave it alone? It's like a grave now. Even when Cameron was doing it, I'm like, oh, really? And And I know he's made over like 100 trips down there, which is insane. Have you gone to any of the Titanic exhibits? No, there's one in Vegas that I wanted to go to. And Jake was like interested in it too. What Jake wants to dive a shipwreck, not dive, but snorkel over one. So I think one of our next trips is going to be like, I know that Aruba has a ton of airplanes. We already dove a site there for a while on over an airplane. Yeah. And Bahamas has a ton of ships, um, airplanes, stuff yeah. like that. I've, I've done that whole deal. I've done the snorkel thing. Uh-huh. 
I don't dive. I don't either. I, I'm too claustrophobic. And if you go to like West Virginia here, if you go to Harper's Ferry and you do the whitewater rafting, they actually have remnants of a plane in the oh. middle where it, it crashed in like the middle of the river. You can still see parts of it because it's very shallow in that, those parts. August 10th, 2000. Dawn. The Barents Sea above the Arctic Circle. In a restricted harbor, the nuclear submarine Kursk prepares for the largest war game in her six years of service. This place once symbolized terror to Western navies. It was home to the Soviet Union's fleet of 120 nuclear submarines. Now only 40 remain. The Kursk is among the newest and fastest. Two nuclear reactors give her a submerged speed of 28 knots. The Kursk carries a crew of 118 men. They are young and sharp, the finest crew in the fleet. In an era of decline in the Russian military, these men are proud. The Kursk symbolizes the future. The Kursk is an Oscar II-class submarine, the largest attack sub ever built. Oh, it's huge. It's over 500 feet long, uh, about 505 feet long. The Washington Monument, by comparison, is 555 feet high. It's taller than the Statue of Liberty is high. At 24,000 tons, the Kursk is over three times the size of her U.S. counterparts. Double-hulled, she is built to withstand a direct hit from an enemy torpedo. Her designers consider her virtually indestructible. On August 10th, 2000, the Kursk takes part in the largest Russian naval exercise in a decade. The entire Russian Northern Fleet is out in force testing equipment and weapons in a way not seen since the height of the Cold War. American and British spy subs are in the area with orders to learn about this unusual show of force. The Kursk's role in the war game is to hunt down the missile cruiser Peter the Great. She fires an unarmed missile, a supersonic weapon codenamed Shipwreck. The Kursk was built to attack the United States Navy. The Oscar-class submarines were designed to sink U.S. carriers. They were designed to trail U.S. carrier battle groups in the event of a war to fire their missiles and kill the carrier before the carrier could kill some of their ships. August 12, 2000. The Kursk is scheduled to fire a practice torpedo. The fleet waits. The shot is never fired. At 11.29 a.m., the Kursk explodes and plunges over 300 feet down. The missile cruiser Peter the Great scours the area with sonar, 
in a desperate race to rescue anyone who may have survived. Finally, after a day and a half, the Kursk is discovered. A buoy marks the location of the stricken submarine. If there are men alive on the Kursk, the near freezing temperature and limited oxygen offer only a few precious days survival. Still, Russia declines all offers for help. August 20th, eight days since the Kursk sank, Russia's rescue operation has failed. Divers from Norway are finally permitted to the disaster site. A diver hammers on the hull. There is no response. A robotic vehicle opens the rear escape hatch. Only a final burst of air. 118 men are dead. Those who survived the explosion must have died a horrible, slow death. It's like Dante's Inferno. I mean, it's like going to hell. I mean, those poor guys are stuck in a sunken ship with limited air supply, um, waiting to die. Ciao, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie 
Misdeeds or Intrigue podcast or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.